Blog Talk Radio. We declare our rank on this earth to be a man, to be a human being, to be respected as a human being, to be given the rank of a human being in this society, on this earth, in this day, which we intend to bring into existence by any means necessary. Jason Strider, man, he told me, man, it's a sin. As much as a sin is killing a person and stealing and everything else, it's a sin for me not to be doing what I'm doing. If I chose to take the easy way out knowing that I have to get it. Everybody can rap, but only a few get in these positions, you know, where they can really speak, you know, to a generation of people and, you know, have them follow them. Most important thing in business is honesty, integrity, hard work, family, never forgetting where we came from. And you are what you are in this world. That's either one or two things. Either you're somebody, or you're nobody. together and discuss topics in sports, music, TV, and film based on our several blogs, which we will make reference to throughout the show. Um, you can check out our show blog, thecollectiveradio.blogspot.com, where we put up all kinds of cool polls and information from stuff we do right here on this show. Uh, my name is Martin Soares. I'm your humble host. I am joined by two of my usual co-hosts. We are without our fourth member, Tommy Hill, for today, but I've got Lawrence and Jason Reels with me today. Gentlemen, how are we feeling this afternoon? Feeling well, feeling well. What's going on, people? Back again here for another episode of The Collective. Uh, Plenty of topics for us to get to today. Um, a lot has happened in, in the last week, a lot for us to uh, discuss. Obviously, the NBA draft, some uh, some big-time blockbuster trades, some smaller moves that have happened. Um, NBA teams have already begun to shift um, since Thursday night's draft. Um, with the season ending just last week, things have already been set in motion. New coaches have been hired. 
coaches have been fired, um, a lot of moves being made, and we'll get into that. We'll talk a little bit about Jay-Z and his album, which will come out next week, the Magna Carta Holy Grail. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. We'll talk about Big Sean's upcoming album. He put out another single for his uh, sophomore Hall of Fame album, which is set to release in August. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the – we'll recap the June 18th albums from last week and kind of uh, finalize our thoughts on that from what we've discussed over the last couple of weeks with those albums. And uh, we've got we've got a lot to get to. Let's go right into it, guys. Uh, the NBA draft, um, really a bizarre turn of events on Thursday night. We kind of expected it to be um, unexpected uh, just based on the personnel, based on um, the nature of the draft. Our very own Jason Reels um, put up his his pre-draft notes, um, a little top 10 mock draft before the, before the NBA draft went on, um, and what a great job he did with that. And obviously the, 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 uh, the bizarre event started right there at the number one pick. And there are different things, obviously, we have to get to with trades and different things that happened that always happen with each draft. But let's start right at the top with the number one pick. I, I sat there watching and I expected to hear Nerlens Noel or Alex Len because those were the two guys that were probably projected the most by most people, most experts to probably go number one overall. Um, I got to say, I was pleasantly surprised to see Cleveland pick Anthony Bennett at number one. Um, Jay, ever since you really put him, put me on notice from Anthony Bennett from UNLV during the season, um, his skill set is undeniable um, at six, Eight six nine, about 250, 260 pounds. Um, he's a big guy. Um, he can bang like Zach Randolph, but he can also step out and shoot the three. Um, a really, really uh, versatile skill set for his size. There was no question to me whether or not he could be a top five, even a top three pick um, based on his skill set alone. Um, at number one for Cleveland, I got to say, I was pleasantly surprised. I, I really do like I think it was a little gutsy on their part, but in terms of what they're getting, um, I don't think they could have gotten a better, more versatile, big um, bang for their buck, I guess you can say. I really like what he can do, what he could be able to do with their team. You pair him up with Kyrie Irving and and pick and pop, pick and roll situations. I I think he can really help their team. He may be one of the more unconventional number one picks, maybe of all time, but um, I, I see him as a, a solid contributor for the Cleveland Cavaliers going forward. Uh, Jay, how surprised were you that Cleveland went with Anthony Bennett at number one? Um, I, I guess I was surprised that they actually did go with them, number one. Um, in, uh, in my pre-draft notes, I uh, – I've, I've, I had Anthony Bennett going seventh, actually, but I put in my pre-draft notes that if I'm the Cleveland Cavaliers GM, I'm taking this kid number one overall. And that's based off of for about a half of basketball. I mean, I, I really, I, I didn't, I saw him play one game this year, and he scored 14 points within the first seven minutes of the game. And he scored in such a different variety of ways. It was off the dribble dunk, finishing at the rim. It was back to the basket move. It was catching shoots off the screen. And pop. It was transition three pointers. I just, 
I saw him do it all in in about ten minutes, and I said, okay, this kid's a pro. That's easily, but when is he gonna come out? Because he has number one draft pick talent, and and I think that's what Cleveland went with. They didn't go with the safest pick. They went with the pick with the most upside and the guy that was actually the most talented player in the draft. And I think it's not a surprise if you saw him play to recognize how talented he is. He really, really is that talented. If this kid, if this kid gets into NBA type shape, I think within three years he's an All Star in the in the Eastern Conference. And and with him and Kyrie developing together. I mean, I'm telling you, they're gonna be they're gonna be unguardable at one point in the screen and roll situations. They're gonna be unguardable in pick and roll situations at once he really develops. And he's 20 years old, so or, or 19 years old. So I mean, he's a young guy. You give him time to develop. You see the talent there already. Once he develops for a few years in in that system, you know, sky sky's the limit for this kid, and I and I and I've seen that for a while now. Um, so I I wasn't surprised that they took him because I know what type of player he is. I guess it was just a surprise because usually when we come into drafts, we know who the number one pick is. Like there's no question mm-hmm. who it, there's no surprises in the NBA draft at number one. Is. So to see that was was very surprising, but I love. I never thought I would say this, but I love what Cleveland did with that pick. They they said, okay, this is make or break. We're not going to go with the safe pick. We're going to go with the guy. Kudos to uh, Chris Martin, the GM for from the Cavs, and Dan Gilbert, who's nutty, but uh, good, but nice job by the Cavaliers, um, what they did with that pick. So definitely, it's like you said, it really wasn't um... – really wasn't the safe pick. I mean, it's like it's like you said, it was really it was like a debate really who would be that who would move into that number 1 pick. Some people said Nerlens Noel would get it, some people said Alex Len, some people oh, Victor Oladipo's stock really rose up. Um, uh, you know, some people expect, thought maybe he could go number 1 to Cleveland or obviously he dropped down to he went number 2 to Orlando. Um, so it it's you know, really it kind of set the tone in terms of the whole shock value for the draft. Um, it's like you said, Jay. If you if you haven't had a chance to at least watch highlights of Anthony Bennett, um, you would really be confused because a you probably haven't heard of him, and b you're not really sure. You, you don't really know what his skill set, what the kind of skill set he possesses. Um, also, Jay, I, I like the fact that you left out the game that you watched Anthony Bennett play. I believe it was against your Tar Heels. Am I correct? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Anthony Bennett was uh, lighting up Jay's Tar Heels as he was watching him play in that game. Um, so, I mean, looking looking all around at this draft, um, you know, you've got obviously teams that are looking to improve um, with these young guys. But we talked about the nature of this draft, and, and Jay mentioned it in his pre-draft notes. Um, in terms of the nature of this draft, you know, the big story was that it was such a weak draft. There aren't big-time names. There aren't really any, like, solidified cornerstone franchise names in this draft, uh, which may be true. But as Jay alluded to in his pre-draft notes, um, there are plenty of players and 
and names and pieces that came out of this draft that looking looking ahead are are in my eyes are going to be solid contributors for their clubs. Uh, you look at Victor Oladipo going to Orlando at number two. Um, obviously, that's that's a big that, that's a lot for him to handle on his shoulders to go into a franchise that is definitely rebuilding from the Dwight Howard, you know, post Dwight Howard now. They've got Oladipo now. He, they're looking for him to be obviously the cornerstone of their franchise. Um, but it, it's a huge task for these guys, for your Victor Oladipos, for your Ben McLemores, who went to Sacramento, obviously. But And, you know, Otto Porter going to Washington. He's got John Wall and Bradley Beal there. So, I mean, I, I'm curious, you know, what you guys think about you know, if there were any teams to you that stuck out, I mean, I know, I think we can agree, you know, on Anthony Bennett going to Cleveland. That's that's a strong move for them going forward. But um, any other teams that you guys uh, noticed or, or picked out as as maybe not significantly improving, but which a couple moves that you liked that they did with this draft? Um, I I was confused at first by uh, what the Sixers were doing in and trading away Drew Holiday to get in uh, Nerlens Noel and um, and Michael Carter-Williams. But, I mean, I, I guess after hearing a bunch of people talking about it and, and thinking about the deal itself, it actually sounds like it, it's pretty good for the Sixers. I mean, they set themselves up with some future draft picks. They're, they're kind of in a rebuilding phase where, you know, Drew Holiday is a very good player and a very, very, very good player. And, and I mean, he'll be greatly missed in Philly, but at the same time, to be able to free up that cap space, he had like a forty-one million dollar contract that they just got rid of. They just got a lot of, they just got a lot of money freed up, and I think Nerlens Noel and Michael Carter Williams have great upside. I think they they both can be, you know, a productive pros. So I I think I, I like what the Sixers have done. I kind of look to see what the middle of the pack of the of the middle of the pack teams get. You know, like. The teams that are adding people who are probably closer to the playoffs than you know the the teams that are actually going to get the lottery picks. I do love Anthony Bennett for uh, Cleveland. I think w- what Dan Gilbert is is building there is is going to be something within the next few years. I mean they've they've added some pieces. They've gotten what the three out of the last four number one overall picks. So I mean they they definitely have been. In the running in these last few drafts, I mean, what's unfortunate for them is that these last few drafts haven't realistically been as strong as other drafts we've seen. I mean, no draft's going to be like 2003 every year, but at the same time, there hasn't been there hasn't been like the strongest draft classes. But still, with Kyrie, Anthony Bennett, you know, Tristan Thompson, they have a lot of youth there that they can really do some. Or Dion Waiters, yeah, they they have a lot of youth where they can really uh, do some positive things. So I I like I like Dan Gilbert's move taking Anthony Bennett. Like Jay said, we we didn't see much much of Anthony Bennett, but from what we did see, you know, he's an inside outside guy that is going to be a big that's going to bang inside. He's not going to be a, a finesse inside outside game. He's 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 a big that'll bang. You know, he's very physical, and he can also play on the perimeter. You know, he can he can knock down the three-point shot. He can create for himself off of the perimeter. So, I mean, he's he was one of my favorite players in this draft. I thought he was the best freshman in college basketball last year, realistically. So, um, it's really cool to see him get that recognition. And I think him and Kyrie together would do some good things. Um, 
In terms of other teams, I, I talked about the middle of the pack teams that kind of are are a move or two away from from really being able to, you know, solidify themselves. I think that some some teams really made some some pretty good moves in terms of in terms of who they picked up and like the needs that they had. I like um I like Shane Larkin in Dallas. I, I think Shane Larkin may have come out a little bit early, but Dallas was in desperate need of a point guard. They had um I believe it was Mike James starting at the end of the year, so they they definitely could use someone like Shane Larkin with that kind of speed, you know, that that kind of scoring ability to put that around some other guys. I think that could be good. Um, I also liked. I don't mind Reggie Bullock going to the Clippers. I think I, I think Reggie Bullock is a very good basketball player. He's he. I have cash. Um, yeah, um, to piggyback over what Lauren said, yeah, I really like I really like Reggie Bullock um, to the Clippers. They needed someone that could kind of spread the floor, and 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 that definitely helps them in the long run. There's a there's a couple other people um, that I'm particularly excited about. Um, I love Ben McLemore to Sacramento. I think that just makes complete sense. Um, they need a score. Um, they they wasted a pick on Jimmer for debt, um, as it is now, so they, they needed a two-guard bad. Um, I like C.J. McCollum in Portland, along with along with uh, Damian Lillard. I think that's a very, very good young backcourt that can play off each other, and, and, and there's a benefit in the NBA to having two kind of passing guards in your backcourt. Um, you know, the ball never stops moving. And and both of them are able to make plays for their big, so I think I really like that pick. Um, and I have I have a few more sleeper picks. I really love Tim Hardaway Jr. to the Knicks. It looks like the Knicks aren't going to be able to sign back J.R. Smith, and not that Tim Hardaway Jr. is J.R. Smith, but he could provide some scoring punch off the bench that that the Knicks are are, are desperately looking for. Um, so that's awesome. Obviously, Shabazz Muhammad going 14th to the Jazz. Um, that's going to be a steal for them. Um, and one that I don't like is Archie Goodwin from Kentucky uh, going to the Thunder at 29. If you think about some of the names missing from this draft, no Seth Curry doesn't get drafted. Um, C.J. Leslie, who just got signed by the Knicks, which I think is a good signing for them, but he doesn't get drafted. There's a lot of guys that I think were a lot better than Archie Goodwin um, all season long um, in college yeah, basketball. Yeah, I, I know. I, I saw it. So, so, yeah. Maybe even Khalif Wyatt. Yeah, yeah even even like, names like that, Khalif Wyatt. Um, um, Sam Pressy from from uh, Phil Pressy, I should say, from Missouri, the the point guard. He had a really very good college career. Um, I think he came out a little early, but he didn't get drafted as well. So there's a, there's a lot of guys that that didn't get picked up that I I thought should have been higher on the radar than Archie Goodwin, but we'll see what happens there as well. Yeah, I was I was going to mention Shabazz Muhammad. I, I actually. I expected him to go a little bit higher just based on how the draft was going. I was kind of hoping Oklahoma City grabbed him at 12 instead of the center from Pittsburgh, Stephen Adams, I, more so because I was kind of hopeful that Oklahoma City would replace 
the the the, the dangerous lefty of James Harden with Shabazz Muhammad. Again, not that he's he would replace a James Harden, but just really just with the lefty dynamic. And I think he would be a nice fit. I think he would be a nice complimentary piece for Oklahoma City. But obviously he dropped down to Utah. And I was going to mention Shabazz and Utah for the same reason that uh, Trey Burke, who obviously got picked up ninth by the Timberwolves, but the Utah Jazz have rights to him. So Trey Burke and Shabazz Muhammad going to Utah, two really solid, sound young players that they can build off of um, with that front court they have with Al Jefferson and Paul Millsap. Um, so, you know, you look for Utah to be making moves in the future. Um, another one, I like Tony Snell going to Chicago at the Most people probably wouldn't know about Tony Snell. He played for uh, New Mexico last season, but he's a six-seven shooting guard. He's about 200 pounds. He comes off screens. He knocks down shots. He's he's fairly physical, and uh, I'm pretty sure he's a fairly decent defender. So obviously, going to Chicago, playing for Tom Thibodeau, you have to be able to defend to get playing time. But um, you look at his you look at his highlights. You look at the thing he's the things he's able to do. He's He's almost like a younger version of Rip Hamilton. I mean, he really comes off screens and looks to get his shot off, um, even as far as out to the three-point line. Rip Hamilton, more of a mid-range operator, but Tony Snell can uh, step back behind three and shoot it. So um, I think it's a viable asset for Chicago, who obviously struggles to score, obviously without their superstar Derrick Rose this past season. That made things a lot more difficult on the offensive end. But uh, just in general, even, I mean, they've been dying for a for a swing man for these last few years. Um, I mean, they have Luol Dang in there, but um, you, you kind of look for them to establish a more uh, solid two-guard there. So I think I think Tony Snell could be a nice little sleeper pick there for Chicago um, at number oh, 20. Yeah. I, I, think, I think that's one of the, the more perfect picks, I think, in the, in the draft. I, I saw that, um, and I'm right away – first thing I thought was that that makes absolute sense. Like, he fits their system to a T. He, so, a little background. I love Tony Snell. I had him in, as one of my sleepers in the draft. He actually went to the same high school as Kawhi Leonard, and he played in the same conference just for a different team as Kawhi Leonard. That's why, I, you know, I said in my post, um, you know, he's kind of like a young, developing Kawhi Leonard, and I just thought with the Bulls, he would make, the most sense. Um, Jimmy Butler's come along and turned out to be a great draft pick as well for the Bulls. So, yeah, I kind of see him yeah. taking that starting two guard role, you know, up uh, next year, especially with Rose back. But Tony Snell off the bench would be instant offense. Um, he's he's Kawhi Leonard, but he's Kawhi Leonard now in a way that he can shoot just as well from the outside as Kawhi Leonard. So it's a it's a lot of that that was that was literally a a perfect perfect pick for the, for the Bulls. I really like that move. Yeah, I would have to agree. Um, and I know uh, Lawrence and and Jay, you you expounded on the Reggie Bullock pick for the Clippers. I, I I like that pick also. I think he, I think Reggie Bullock turns out to be someone that kind of hangs out in the corner and shoots threes. I think he's capable of doing a little bit more, but. I mean, essentially, he, I mean, he's a threat from three. Um, you, you, you put him in a position to space the floor and, and stretch the floor, and he'll do it, and he'll knock down those shots, I think. Um, so it would be interesting to see how Doc Rivers and the Clippers are able to utilize uh, someone like that as Doc Rivers looks to, uh, you know, reform the whole Clipper franchise as, as their new head coach. Um, 
we'll talk about the the obviously the big news from the draft, the blockbuster trade between Brooklyn and Boston um, here in a second. And talking about Brooklyn, I, I like the Mason Plumlee pick. I know it's a I know I know I'm a Duke bias, but but I mean you look at what Brooklyn has done essentially with the trade, getting Kevin Garnett in there with Brooke Lopez. I think you you have a Mason, you have someone like Mason Plumlee who you can bring off the bench who is a horse. I mean, we know what he does, what he doesn't do, but what he does well, I think, makes him at the very least a solid big, a solid NBA big. You bring him off the bench, he's going to run the floor, he's going to defend, he's going to rebound. Um, and I think you know, in that Brooklyn, in that trade with Boston, obviously Brooklyn had to really give up basically all of their role players. I mean, no more Chris Humphreys, no more. Uh, Reggie Evans. So in terms of physicality and banging, they kind of lost that kind of that feature to them. I think, you know, the way Mason Plumlee develops will be important for them because he might be able to fill that kind of that physical banging role for them. And if anything, I, I think, I just think he's a horse. I love the way he runs the floor. I think at, uh, at a, at a kind of a very minor level, he helps their team in kind of a blue guy sense for their front court. So I, I like that pick for Brooklyn. I really do. Um, so, I mean, going right into that, the, the, the big blockbuster trade, obviously, between Brooklyn and Boston, um, I'll give my initial thoughts first. Uh, I I truly believe, um, and I, I'm still kind of working my way through this through this trade and, and what it means personnel-wise, what it means matchup-wise, but, I mean, just initial thoughts, just generally. I'll put it out there, and I tweeted it after it went down. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets just became the best team in New York, um, definitely on paper. But, I mean, if you look at their starting five, they may have the best starting five in basketball now, guys. And obviously when you look at Eastern Conference teams now, really any team, I mean, when you talk about improving a team, you're talking about building a team to beat the defending champ. So with Brooklyn in the Eastern Conference, obviously they're, you're stacking them up against Miami. I think, and we talked about this, I'm pretty sure it was last week, because the rumors with Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett going to the Clippers, along with Doc Rivers, were swirling. Obviously, Doc Rivers ended up going by himself, but I'm pretty sure it was Jay who noted that um, your your biggest, your, your best chance is to, in terms of opposing Miami, your best chance is to get guys that don't like them, that that gen, that, that genuinely hate them, and that know how to beat them. Uh, I like this move for Brooklyn for the sole fact that you're putting together two parties that were asked kind of too much of them in last season. You look at the nucleus of Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, Brooke Lopez, which somehow they were able to hang on to in this trade. Um, Brooklyn goes to the first round of the playoffs this year, plays Chicago in the 4-5 first round slot, loses in seven games, Seemingly, I mean, really, when we and, and I, me and Jay picked Brooklyn to win the series because we felt like they had, they just had more offense, and it came down to a, an extreme sense of disorganization from the Brooklyn Nets. Obviously, they let go of Avery Johnson through the season. They went with the interim coach PJ Carlissimo. Apparently, him and Brooke Lopez didn't really hit it off. But I mean, aside from the whole coaching thing, just their team in general just looked disorganized. It was too much one on one. There wasn't really a a system that they stuck to. And in the end, that's really what, what helped them. I mean, they could have easily won that series against Chicago. They went into triple overtime with those 
heroics from Nate Robinson. I mean, they could have just as easily won that series, but I think it was a lack of disorganization and a lack of discipline uh, for Brooklyn. I think that's what it came down to this year. And it came down to, I think, asking maybe a little too much of Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, two guys who are respective guards in the NBA, two guys that can fill it up, that can score the basketball. We know that. Um, But it just looked like it was too much for them. It looked like they were they were being asked to do too much. And you look at the rest of the pieces on their team, they weren't really getting much offensively from other guys. Like I said before, you had Chris Humphreys and Reggie Evans who were really just bangers. I mean, highly limited in terms of offensive production. Um, you don't go to them for for offense. Gerald Wallace became a huge liability for the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nets in the season because he can't shoot, so you play off him and you can help out on drives from Dare Williams, Joe Johnson, et cetera. Um, so the liabilities offensively were grand for Brooklyn this year. I look at Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, their situation in Boston this past year. Obviously, Rondo went down. That was a huge hit for them. But they couldn't even force a, seven, a seventh game against New York in the first round. They were just the seventh seed going into the Eastern Conference playoffs. And I think it's a similar scenario. You, you ask Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, to do more than they were ready to do at this point in their careers. Obviously, both of them on the last leg of their careers, without that catalyst of Rondo, it it, it was just too much to bear for them. The two of them couldn't be the Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett of old that could just will the Boston Celtics to a a first-round playoff win. It, It just couldn't happen. It was too much. And so I merged these two parts together that were kind of lost and asked too much of each other through this year. And I'm merging them together, and, guys, I'm looking at the best starting five in basketball because, I mean, I think Jason Kidd definitely has his work cut out in terms of finding ways to to mesh these moving parts together. And, and, I mean, they get a free sixth man with Jason Terry as well, so that's a plus also. But, again, you have to put in the right system. You've got to get these guys working together the right way. You've got a backcourt with Darren Williams and Joe Johnson that are scorers, that that are one-on-one, break-you-down type of scorers, playmakers. And you've got someone like Paul Pierce who can kind of fill in the gap, but you look for him to step up in those moments where it might look like it is too much for Darren Williams and Joe Johnson again, where it looks like you need someone who's been there before, who's been to the finals, who's won a championship, And the same goes for Kevin Garnett. As old as KG is, I love love Garnett for Brooklyn because when I watched Brooklyn play this year, uh, again, I alluded to the the offensive liabilities of Gerald Wallace, Reggie Edmonds, Chris Humphreys, guys that you can't give the ball to in certain spots and expect them to be productive. The only way they're productive offensively is from putbacks, offensive rebounds, or dumping it off for them for open layups. Kevin Garnett, now stretches the floor for your offense, now creates another option for your offense, another second, third, fourth option for your offense that you can go to not primarily because, again, he's on the last leg of his career. Same thing for Paul Pierce. You don't want them to be guys that you're going to primarily for those reasons. They just can't do it. But, look, they have the crutch of their younger guys, Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, Brooke Lopez. So, you put these moving parts together, and guys, I'm seeing a starting five, and you add Jason Terry in there as a, a, a complimentary sixth man. I'm looking at a team that should be highly formidable in the Eastern Conference next year. Uh, and on paper, I mean, right now I'm giving them a better chance than 
any other team. I mean, New York Knicks, I'm giving them the edge over them instantly. Like I said, I think Brooklyn's the best team in New York now, uh, hands down, at least on paper. Um, Chicago, I think, I mean, I know, I think everybody would agree Chicago's future is predicated on the return of Derrick Rose, and I certainly look forward to seeing how they're able to adjust even in this offseason, you never know what they could do with this free agency period. Uh, but with Derrick Rose's return, obviously Chicago will look to make a stronger presence in the, in next year's NBA season. But, guys, I'm looking at the Brooklyn Nets as probably the most formidable opponent for the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference next year. What do you guys think? I mean, I would have to agree. I I, I do hope to see some uh, good things this off season in terms of movement from the Knicks and, and the Pacers also, so making it a kind of a yeah. top-heavy league, as we're used to seeing from the East, where it's like the top dogs are really, really the top dogs. But I think Brooklyn's I think Brooklyn's easily a top four team. I mean, we also we also have to think about the fact. You, I mean, Martin, you just mentioned it, but Derrick Rose will be back in Chicago this year, so that's another thing to think about. I mean, the East is. The East is going to be pretty scary this year. I, I think I think if my if I'm Miami, I'm coming in thinking, wow, we we got our hands full again. I mean, Boston obviously lost most of their team, and and they're in a rebuilding a rebuilding phase at this point with um with with Rondo and Jeff Green. I think they still have a good nucleus, so we'll we'll see what they end up doing there. But I, I think this all – I mean, I, I hate to say this because I love I love him for the job, but I think a lot of this is going to come down on Jason Kidd now because he has to be able to get all of these parts to operate together. He has to be able to get all these parts to operate as a cohesive unit and a unit with a goal in mind, and it literally beat the heat. I mean, they, they can say whatever they want. It's just win, but it, it's beat the heat. The, the, I mean – who are we kidding here? These guys are going to Brooklyn to be able to form a team on their way out good enough to beat the Heat. I mean, we know, like you said, KG and Paul Pierce are certainly on their last leg. Jason Terry is is on his last as well. These guys are, are certainly on their way out. They they only are going to Brooklyn to be able to put together a team that's going to be able to beat Miami, and I think that they can. Like I said, I think I, I hate the fact that a lot of this is going to come down on Jason Kidd because if they're not performing well, that's who, who's going to get most of the blame for it. But, I, I mean, top to bottom, that starting lineup is one of the more dangerous starting lineups we've ever seen. I mean, there's five there's five guys in there that were all-stars at one point or another. I mean, I, 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 I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I, I, I love Brooklyn now. <laughs> I, I think Brooklyn is I think Brooklyn is gonna be very good next year and I I'm gonna be a lot more excited to see some Brooklyn games with with, with the squad that they're gonna be able to put out. I think I think you made a good point. It, they get a free six man as well, which is going to be big for them. To have a guy like Jason Terry, a shooter like that to be able to come off the bench, you know, and and he's not only just a shooter but he's a facilitator. He's he's just an overall good basketball player. So a guy like that, I think I think it is a blow for them to be able to lose. They lost all of their like backup interior players. So they lost Reggie Evans, they lost Chris Humphreys, and they lost Gerald Wallace. Now those are obviously replaceable pieces, but at the same time, I think that they have to replace those pieces because Kevin Garnett is not going to be able to play 40 minutes a game. He's not going to be able to play 35 minutes a game realistically on a on a night to night basis. You know, he's gonna he's gonna have to get his rest. So I, I look for them to try to find uh, some youth to be able to put behind KG. I well, they'll they'll still have Andre Blatch, correct? 
I believe I was just thinking that I I haven't seen Blatch's name in any of the trade talks, so I'm assuming that they they were able to hang on to him. Well, Andre Blatch will be good for them. I mean, he he's another yeah. big that they that they'll definitely be able to have to just throw in and, and give KG some rest. But I, I would look for them to, to to try to find another big. But I I mean, per, on the perimeter, I like their game a lot. I mean, Marshawn Brooks has been coming into his own, so for them to still be able to hold on to him and along with Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson's going to have to do more than he did last year. I mean, Joe Johnson was was flat out just not very good all year last year. And I know it takes some time and it takes some adjusting and a new team, new system and everything like that. But Joe Johnson's going to have to be – going to have to force his will a little bit more. I think I think he gets a little bit of opportunity to kind of chill a little, a little more because of Paul Pierce and because of – we know how aggressive Paul Pierce is going to be and how aggressive he is, you know. So he'll he'll certainly take some of the scoring load off of Joe Johnson, but I think they all need to be able to feed into each other. So I, I'm I, it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be a lot of drama in Brooklyn next year. I mean, it's going to be a team that everyone's going to be looking at to kind of have a, a, a dominant year because they're on paper as good as they are. So I'm I'm excited for that. I think I'm. I'm very, I'm very happy for Darren Williams. He's finally got himself a, a, a solid, solid team around him. So I'm, I'm excited to see what he's able to do with him not having to score as much. With him more in a facilitator role, we know he's a scoring point guard, but he can be a facilitator if he doesn't have to do all the scoring. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see what, what plays out. But Brooklyn is certainly, certainly going to be a team to watch next year to, to be able to beat Miami. Quite possibly the biggest story now in the NBA, um, depending on, again, what happens between now um, and the NBA season. Obviously, free agency begins July 1st, so we'll have, I'm sure we'll see a lot more moves, trades going down next week. But as it stands, definitely the top story in the NBA right now. And, Jay, you know, we, we talked about Brooklyn this year. Like I said before, you and I actually picked them to advance pass the first round in this year's playoffs and go on to play Miami in the second round. Obviously, that didn't happen, but I think we both kind of touched on the fact that they were just a couple pieces away from really a championship mold. And just, I mean, quick side note, they're also reported to have, they're looking to sign Jason Collins and Kyle Korver also with their team and drafting Mason Plumlee. So, I mean, you kind of see, you know, what they're trying to do in terms of connecting those moving parts. Um, I, I still think, you know, those extra minor pieces um, are, will be necessary. Obviously, you can't win with just six guys. Uh, so those extra pieces will be important. Um, so, I mean, Jay, what are your impressions, thoughts on this new-look Brooklyn team? Um, I'm, I'm being cautious. I'm being cautious uh, to to get too excited about it. I mean, it kind of reminds me of when Carl Malone and Gary Payton, you know, at the end of their careers – um, went to the Lakers with, with Shaq and Kobe and, you know, on paper it was like, okay, they cannot be stopped. And, and you know, it just didn't come about. So I'm, I'm, I'm being cautious about making too many quick judgments on this. But what I do know is, is that they have, they, they obviously have a complete team. I think Jason Terry coming along in the trade is huge and, and, it won't be until playoff time next year that people will really start to see, like, wow, they really have Jason Terry coming off the bench. Um, so so I, I love that part of it. 
I want to know what tight, how much left in the tank Kevin Garnett has. I want to know how much Paul Pierce has. I want I want to know if this is gonna kind of rejuvenate them and re-energize them to make a push. You know, the last two or three years of their of their basketball careers. Um, and and like I, what I do like about it is that now Miami Miami is now forced to make some moves, and they're forced to adjust now. I think they they have to get Miami has to get some better inside pieces. I think we've seen that before, but now with this move, now you have a front court with Kevin Garnett and Brooke Lopez. You know, you have to they they have to have to have to make a move because KG and 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 Brooke Lopez will control the paint like they've never like they've never seen before in the Eastern Conference. I uh, I totally agree that now Brooklyn on paper is better uh, are a better team than the Knicks. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it, it, it looks awesome. It looks very, very good. It looks like something with some obviously tremendous, tremendous promise, championship like promise. But my thing is you have two different cultures trying to combine and, and Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, like they come from that Boston mold. Pierce knows nothing but Boston. And KG fit into Boston very, very well. Now they're coming to Brooklyn. And, and it, and it kind of, like, I think about it, it's like stepbrothers almost, where you have, like, people with, like, the same kind of, like, like ways but different ways of doing things, trying to mash all that together. Now, is Jason Kidd the person to do that? Who, that's yet to, we, we don't know that yet. Will Kevin Garnett and 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 Paul Pierce Listen to kid like like as if he's a coach or mm. if he's somebody that they just got done playing against last year, a guy that they they may have been they were all drafted around the same time like they had battles together, and 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 like is is there going to be that respect level there? Now now for me, it's Joe Johnson. How is he going to adjust to playing with Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and Deron Williams, all guys that. At least the three guards, these are all guys that need shots. And yeah. now Joe Johnson kind of becomes not a superstar. He he kind of becomes a role player, in my opinion, If because I mm. think the big three is now is now Deron Williams, Pierce, and, and Brooke Lopez. Mm. Um, mm. So, so yeah. where, where does Joe Johnson fit in all that? I mean... Yeah. If he decide if he plays his role, then he then he then becomes the best role player in basketball, and 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 they sky's the limit for Brooklyn really, and and with the pieces that they're trying to bring in, I do like Mason Plumlee. I never thought I would say this, but I do like Mason Plumlee in Brooklyn. I do like that move. Um, like I said before, Jason Terry's huge. They're obviously Marshawn Brooks, like Lawrence said. They're gonna have to add a few more pieces. I think the the key to this, and this is gonna be crazy. I, I really think the key to all of this is Jason Kidd bringing in the right assistant coaches. I think he needs veteran, savvy, smart assistant coaches. I think he needs the best assistant coaching staff in the league because he's going to need somebody on that bench that these guys will listen to and respect. Because we don't like we don't know we don't know yet how they're going to adjust to Jason Kidd being their coach. I don't know how Kevin Gar. I don't know if Kevin Garnett's going to listen to Jason Kidd. I don't know if Paul Pierce is going to listen to Jason Kidd. They need some type of voice and and some masterminds. I really feel like they need like masterful assistant coaches to kind of find a system to bring all this together because Jason Kidd doesn't have a system right now. 
So so if if the assistant coaches I think are going to be huge here. I think the the money that the Brooklyn owner has is they they're they're gonna they're gonna buy their way into a championship team, and obviously that's what they're doing right now. So he's gonna spend whatever money he needs to spend to 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 get them a, a championship, and and that's very obvious. And you know, for Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett coming down to the end of their careers, and they know they want one more. You know, this could be it for them, and I and I hope to see a Brooklyn Miami Eastern Conference Final next year. And that's crazy because I've been talking about a Knicks Heat final that I've wanted to see, but now I really, I don't really care about the Knicks anymore with this shit going on. <laughs> so Jay, what do you think? I've, the Nets have brought in Lawrence Frank officially um, as their assistant. Obviously, he was under Doc Rivers when they rebuilt around with Ray Allen, uh, Pierce, and Garnett when they rebuilt the whole Austin Big Three. So with Lawrence Frank in there in Brooklyn, do you think that's a plus for them? Key move, key move. I'm telling you that I, I really feel like that the moves like that, those are the those are the moves that'll that'll get them closer to it. Not like because the talent and the experience and all that is there. All that is there. They need a system that will work that will get bring the best out of all these guys. Brooke still Brooke. I think I think Brooke and Kevin Garnett is going to be awesome for Brooke in every way possible yeah. for Brooke. First of all, now yeah. he finally has a now he finally has a big man that can pass, which is right. which is big enough. Because Reggie Evans is not throwing entry passes from the high post. Um, Chris never. Humphreys is not throwing entry. Never, never. So now that he has a a four man that can one spread the floor, because you got to respect Kevin Garnett fifteen to seventeen feet. You have to respect the fact that he can pass the ball. And look how much space now. And then they got shooters everywhere else. So now Brooke Lopez literally has enough space to operate where he could actually be a real, real problem that we that 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 we've seen before. In 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 just in reverse way, like it it, it helps Kevin Garnett as well. Kevin Garnett doesn't have to be under the basket worrying about grabbing eleven to thirteen rebounds in games. Now he can he can do he can do a little less. Brooke and him can both control the paint. They can be physical presence, both of them in the paint. And then you have arguably now the best backcourt three man combination in the league overall, maybe. I mean you still it's still Wade and LeBron, but now you have Pierce Joe Johnson and Deron Williams. I mean who else has a complete one, two, three like that? I don't think anybody else does. So I don't think it's so. Promising, yeah. You know what I mean? As promising as it looks, I think it comes down to the coaching, the coaching staff, and the type of culture that they that they're trying to create in Boston uh, from from that Boston pedigree coming to Brooklyn with Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. I think that's the key to winning them a championship more so than 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 the the other things going around. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, I think that's uh, uh, definitely strong points all around. You know, we see these teams come together back to, you know, the Boston Big Three, Miami, and teams bringing in different guys trying to put together different combinations. Um, this one is obviously um, really significant for a lot of reasons. You're adding Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett to this group. But um, like you guys both alluded to so well, I mean, you're looking at really five guys in that starting five. All five can score the basketball. 
And you really, it really comes down to, like you guys said, I mean, and like you said, Jay, I mean, you kind of have to approach with caution because it comes down to Jason Kidd and his coaching staff making, making, the, making, making everybody happy because you've got five guys that, and I, I think Kevin Garnett is probably the least out of the five that in terms of demanding the basketball, wanting the basketball, um, but I mean, like you said, that 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 three that they have in their backcourt with, with with Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, Paul Pierce, all three guys are used to having the ball in their hands. And um, I think you make a good point, Jay, with Joe Johnson, with him really having to adjust. Now I see him, you know, uh, when he was like when he was a role player in Phoenix, he was considered one of the better role players in the league, and um, that was a result of really Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire playing that pick and roll game and getting it out to shooters and shooting a lot of threes, and he flourished in that system. Um, this system is obviously much different in terms of individual talent um, because he won't he won't have the ball in his hands as much, um, I would have to assume. And, and I'm with you, Jay. I think, you know, based on the kind of season, the kind of up-and-down fluctuating season Joe Johnson had last year, I have no problem with saying the big th- – I, I would replace Pierce with Johnson in that big three in a heartbeat. Because at least with Paul Pierce, you you've got a veteran, and for the most part, you know what you're getting from him. Um, Joe Johnson has kind of been fluctuating, so you look for these moving parts. And like you guys said so well, it really comes down to Jason Kidd and the coaching staff to blend these moving parts and to make it so you know who who needs the basketball when, you know what sets you need to run when, because you've got five guys that can do things with the basketball. I I love the point you made, Jay, about the. With, with the front court, with Kevin Garnett and, and Brooke Lopez. And it was something I mentioned when we talked about the possibility of him going to the Clippers with Blake Griffin because I felt like he, he would maybe have that kind of effect with Blake Griffin too because DeAndre Jordan isn't the kind of playmaking, passing big man that will set you up that can that can help out Blake Griffin that way. I thought KG could have that kind of impact on Blake Griffin's game. But I think you make a strong point because KG really is – he's better operating – away from the basket where he can catch and shoot, where he can make high-low passes, where he can make plays away from the basket, where he's not getting beat up physically at his age. I think that was a big part of him getting run down this season is that he was just too old to be able to man the paint on his own. And, you know, Boston was trying to go small with Miami's, Miami's system, you know, small ball. Boston really adopted that when they let go of Kendrick Perkins and Kevin Garnett became the sole protector of the paint. And that just became too much for him at this point in his career with him having Brooke Lopez in there. He can operate from that 15 to seven foot range and hit those jump shots and, and make plays from that area. So it's not as physically wearing on him having to play in the paint so much. Um, so the, like you guys said so well, these moving parts, you know, we'll keep our eyes on what Brooklyn does here on out to mesh these blended to these 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 moving parts to add different pieces to it and uh obviously we'll have our eyes on them and see what kind of moves they make. Um I mentioned the fact that obviously free agents free agency starts on July first next week. Uh we don't really have time for me to get into Dwight Howard and his ridiculousness right now, but um apparently we will know by July tenth what Dwight Howard what what Dwight Howard's official decision will be as it pertains to the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, a lot of free agents out there, Andre Iguodala, Monte Ellis, um, J.R. Smith, um, a lot of a lot of free agents out there. We should see some interesting moves going on next week. And as always, we'll come back uh, next Saturday and discuss those moves here on The Collective. Um, so wrapping up our first segment, um, as we alluded to, you can see our 
notes and different things that we talk about from this show on our basketball blog, basketballfeed.blogspot.com. Um, you can check that out. And uh, we're wrapping up from this segment. Gentlemen, if you don't have any final thoughts, we'll go into our commercial. All right, go into our commercial. We'll come back and... Go ahead, Jay. I was just gonna say it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting Eastern Conference next year, man. And we and it's and it's still early in the in the in the off season. You know the Knicks are forced to make some moves now. Miami's gonna have to make some moves now. Um, I think I think Brooklyn just opened the floodgates in the East, and it's gonna be an interesting off season and a and an even more interesting uh, regular season and playoff season next year. With the East with Rose back. Danny Granger back with Indiana. I mean, the East yeah. is going to be. I don't think it's going to be top heavy. I think it's just going to be a. I think it's going to be a tougher conference than the West next year. Honestly, with 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 who's coming back. You know, you have you have the Bulls, you have the Pacers, you have the Knicks, you have the Heat. Obviously, you have Brooklyn, you have the Cavaliers, who are going to be young but still have. You know, they're going to be better. Um, Even Washington. Yeah, even Washington. I mean, that, not that these are teams that are gonna that are gonna win the East or anything like that, because Miami's gonna win right. the East again next year. But but it, at least at least now it's interesting top to bottom. I think the playoffs has now become more competitive, where we could see a a a team take one game from the Heat in the first round, or we could see a two seven matchup that's even crazier than last year's two seven. So it, it, yeah. it's gonna it's gonna be crazy. It's gonna be crazy. I mean, I'll, I'll make the argument now that the East is now a deeper conference than the West is, and it's just gonna even get better than that. So it's gonna be crazy. Um, well said, definitely. Well said. The, the Eastern Conference definitely on the rise there, um, with all the points that you just said. Very well said. Um, we'll go to our first commercial break now for a couple minutes, and come back and get into our music segment. The collective. Oh. Rafika Consultants and Services LLC is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback. Sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and the gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cut shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, What would the music be? Um, 
this stuff is like is darker. The the production's heavier, and that's due to Danger Mouse, who's the other half of uh, Nalls Barkley. But the Odd Couple and Saint Elsewhere are two albums that I feel like everybody should have and at least skim through. You know, you're not gonna like every single song on these, but there's some really good ones. Highlights for me. I mentioned Smiley Faces off of St. Elsewhere. Also off of St. Elsewhere was the uh, single they had, Crazy, which was huge. Um, they also have a song called Who Cares that's really cool. And off of The Odd Couple, I like um, I like Going On a lot. That was always my favorite uh, Niles Barkley song. I like Who's Gonna Save My Soul. I like Whatever. I like the song Run they have uh, that the video got like banned in the U.K. because it was calling epi- epileptic seizures. <laughs> it was just all over the place. But their their music is really cool. It's really different. If you if you haven't gotten a chance to get into Nalls Barkley, get into them because it's it's stuff that you'll definitely appreciate. But yeah, so Nalls Barkley and Drake are, have been on my uh, playlist this past week. Very good, very cool, very cool. Um, I'll 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 segue into my into my playlist this week. I um I've only, I've got two and um I've kind of bounced around, but I've I, I've stuck with two pieces of music, two very different pieces of music. Um, one is a film score and the other is an album. Um, Wale's Gifted album, which dropped just last Tuesday, um, I've been listening to. I, I've been very critical of Wale because um, I, I've, I've fluctuated in my in my in my uh, in my fan career of Wale. I started out as a as a huge when I when I really first got into him and did my homework and went back to the first the mixtapes about nothing and the. And, and all the early work from Wale, I really, I really latched onto him. I thought he had a nice lyrical presence. Um, and I was very critical of his last album, Ambition. I mean, as critical as saying that I thought it sucked. Um, there were one or two pretty good commercial songs, but nothing that I could really take away from it. Um, this album from Wale is 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 better. Uh, it's better. Um, there's definitely more from it that I think. Um, you can take away from. I think he does a very decent job of making of putting himself in the context where he can really thrive. I mean, he, he I think he ventures off a little too much into the go-go sound, and 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 you know he's he's really high on himself, and he'll do different things that don't seem to make sense sometimes. But I think I think he kind of went back to the more about nothing. Uh, days on this on this gifted album, I think he makes it more about the music and the lyricism and the rapping than anything else. And and I mean, as he usually sticks to um, really thoughtful, really thought out messages. Um, but I, I think it, the messages are very well spread out. Um, I think he does a really good job with a few records, most notably Love Hate Thing, which is slowly turning into one of my favorite records of this year. Honestly, I mean, it's just it's just too smooth. The vocals are, are too nice, and it's it's the kind of template that Wale can really thrive on. Um, the the song with Meek Mill's "Heaven's Afternoon" is a very strong record, in my opinion. Um, it's it's a 1970s sample. Um, I saw it yesterday. It's, it's slipping from my mind now, but the the gentleman named Lou Curtin, I believe, something something like that. Um, but it is it's, a, it's an old sample, and it's a pretty direct sample actually. Um, but it's it's just really it, it's it's really laid out. It's really mellow. Um, and and he comes across with uh, just really good content. It's Meek Mills is featured on it, and I think Meek does a a really good job of catering to the vibe of the song because it's not your typical it's not your typical Meek Mill feature. It's not the kind of song that you would expect to have Meek Mill on. 
um, because it's not that kind of high-octane, high-energy trap stuff that Meek loves to do. But it's very, it, it, it's very subtle. It's personal. Um, Wale uh, makes reference to, and it's Heaven's Afternoon. It's really about paying homage to the dead in a sense. Um, and Wale pays homage to Capital Steve's from Pro Era, who obviously took his own life last year. Um, just a very thoughtful and deep song. A couple other records, I think Simple Man really kind of like lays out like Wale kind of in a nutshell. It's 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 simple, not to no, no pun intended, but it is it's a pretty simple song, but it's a cool hook. Um and, and I like the ideas. Um I'm liking what he did with this gifted album way more than I liked what he did with Ambition. Top to bottom, I'm not sure I'm 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 saying it's great, but I do think it's good and I think and I'm liking it much more than I liked his that last album, which I can appreciate. And um the other piece of music, I actually picked up the uh, Man of Steel soundtrack composed by Hans Zimmer, probably the best movie composer there is out there right now. He did the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, and I, I shared with Lawrence a video that I found the other day um, of Hans Zimmer really showing the genius of his musical composition. Uh, he brought together about 12 or 13 of the best drummers in the world to do a nine-hour recording session, and he set them up in a circular uh, type of shape, and they, they all were split up into groups of three or fours and literally just going through different drum riffs, just uh, really just embodying. And, and, again, I saw the movie Man of Steel last week. Um, I got a chance to see it, and just really just the vibrant sounds, just how it really encapsulates you into this just booming atmosphere. And, and the percussions, the drums are a huge part of that. And if you see the movie and you feel just the, the the music and the impact that has a huge part to do with it and it's a huge reason why I even listen to film scores in the first place because the music really is the baseline of the movie. Without the music the movie is completely flat. So um Hans Zimmer's Man of Steel soundtrack, if you have a chance to to get it, download it, I mean I think it obviously if you're into movie soundtracks you're probably more likely to get it. But just top to bottom, just really, just really thought out music, strong percussions, um, uh, really cool sounds. Um, I've really been enjoying that. So the Man of Steel soundtrack from Hans Zimmer and Wale's The Gifted album um, on my playlist. Uh, Jay Reels, why don't you bless us with your playlist from this week? What have you been hearing? Ha! Yeah! Alright, so, so I've been on my so I've been on my old school R and D tip this week that I usually get on around this time of year. Um, I was in the wheel, I was driving to to, to Lawrence's job to drop something off for him, and uh, I was like, man, I really don't want to listen to nobody screaming at me right now. I don't want to hear no trap beat. I I don't want to I don't really want to get into to any type of rap music at all. It just wasn't the day for it. So I jumped in my car, I looked in my iTunes and uh my dad's a is a is a old player. He's a, he's he's a old school type of guy. You know, me and Lawrence grew up in the in the North Jersey, New York area, so 98.7 Kiss FM was always on the dial. So I got I got my old school R&B pedigree from my dad and his favorite group is is, is the whispers 
and they they, oh, and they yeah. got some they got some yeah no they, they, if any if you know about the whispers you know what they was like. <laughs> so yes um so so we we've made a couple CDs for my dad to put in his car and uh Lawrence composed a you know a, a whispers greatest hits kind of playlist in his iTunes and I and I when I put stuff on my phone I try to dig into to every little thing that I could possibly want to hear so um I didn't even know that I had this song on my phone but I saw the whispers in my artist and I was like all right well let me see what they got in here because lost and turned out if you ain't never heard that you ain't, <laughs> you ain't no player because <laughs> that's the player's answer <laughs> you feel me so uh so so uh I was looking for that joint and I saw the rock steady joint on there and I was like, Oh, what's up with this? So I I yeah, I put the windows down, I turned it up, you know what I'm saying? I was and I was turning up to the whispers in the wheel this week. And I just I just got a new appreciation or, or a renewed appreciation for old school R and B, you know, seventies, eighties soul singers. Um I just love it, man. I just, I just, I just have a, I just get drawn to it and, and I enjoy it. So I listened to some whispers, rock steady. That was, that was on there heavy. So as soon as I heard that, I was just in the mood. So I said, all right, well, well what else am I going to do? So I'm looking through my iTunes once again and my, and, and the homie Bill Withers comes up. And I was like, oh yeah, amen to my man. <laughs> Yo, son, Use Me, Use Me by Bill Withers, one of the greatest songs possibly ever. If you listen to that song, it is just so player. It is just, it is just, it is pimping, dog. Pimping, dog. It's just, you know, you know, Molly. You know, you know, Molly. So I, so I went right from the Whispers Rock Steady to, to Bill Withers' Use Me and, and, and those two songs. Literally every time I went out this week driving to work, driving home from work, that's the only thing I was just letting those two go back to back, and, and I was just yeah, I was just in my old school in my old school bag this week, and and it's always good to 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 kind of just stop listening to stuff that's happening right now, because because you know all the everything that's going on right now is influenced by this older music. They showed us the way. And and we just took it, and with hip hop, we just put our own twist on it, and and we had the right to do that, and and the generation before us had the right to do that, to kind of make our own sound, and and we were able to do that, and now this is what we have, this is what we call hip hop, but these guys laid the foundation, and, and people before them laid the foundation for them, and and it's and it's if it's just as good, actually it's not just as good, it's better than what we have right now. And and for people that enjoy R and B like I do, you know, you have your Miguel's who's making good music. You obviously have Frank Ocean, who I think is the top dog right now, who's making tremendous, tremendous music. But if you go back and listen to the people before us, you know, they they really, really did it. And and, and just from growing up and remember hearing these songs, you know, with my dad, I just had to go back and revisit some of my some of my old school roots. And and it, and it's just fun, man. And it's just so good. And it's it, it's it's everything. It's everything. I listened to that rock steady joint, and I was like, "Damn, this is good!" Like it, it was it was like it was like Chris Rock. 
It was like Chris Rock DJing in Pootie Tang, you know, when he started wowing out. That, that, that's how it was. That's how it was in the whip. I was like, yo, this thing is too good right now. And I didn't care who saw me. I was driving, you know what I'm saying? I was chilling. I had that joint blasting. And and I was just hoping I was going to ride by a Mississippi pimp in a Cadillac and he was just going to give me the deuces. Like, go ahead, young boy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, Molly? <laughs> so... <laughs> So, so that that was that was what I was listening to this week. That was on my playlist this week. A couple old school joints. Bill Withers, Use Me, which I'm sure everybody has heard before, but you need to have it. It needs to be something that you can just get to. So make sure you mm-hmm. have that. And then the whispers. I mean, they're just, just, just you know, you know what I'm saying. Just the whispers. They just they was doing it for a minute. So had to give it up to the whispers and and and, and play rock steady a few times this week, and, uh, yeah, the the old-school R&B was on the playlist this week for the kids. Jason Reels, ladies and gentlemen, always keeping it funky on our What We Hear segment. Um, the beauty of it, once again, all the way from, from Narles Barkley all the way to, to Bill Withers, um, covering a, a broad spectrum of listening preferences here on our What We Hear segment, um, and that's that's what it's all about. If you've ever tuned in, um, and you can check out the songs that we mentioned and the projects we mentioned on our yeah. show blog, the collective radio.blogspot.com. Uh, Martin, I think I think we have a caller on the line, man. Uh, it looks like we do. What's up, caller? What's going on, though? <laughs> Why don't you give us your name? Tell us where you're calling from. My name's B-Red J. B-Rad? I was just calling, man, because I, cause I, I, was, I was listening to y'all, man. I really like the show, man. Thank you, man. We we appreciate you calling in and, and letting us know. Yeah, this week, this week, man, I've been listening to a lot of Trinidad James, a lot of okay. Yo Gotti. Okay. Yeah. What do you think about them? <laughs> I think there's a time and a place for both of those individuals. <laughs> All right. All right, man. Look, man, keep up the good work, man. Well, what do you Thank think you, about the Wale album? Wale album is a classic. But a honestly, classic. Yeah, it's a classic. See, you're not a Wale fan, and 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 this is proven. I know this. Yeah, so it's what I'm saying is, right I now. think that his album is very much so a classic. I would I would, now, I would I will respectfully say, disagree. Right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Brother. I will say I will say that J. Cole album is 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 more of a classic than that one. But I feel as though Wiley's is a classic and it's alright. So so you're going both classics, Born Center and The Gifted, but Born Center more of a classic. Do you like Jesus? Do you think Jesus is a we've, classic? We've 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 talked about Jesus on this show. I, I I'm not I'm not sure anybody here would would make the argument for Jesus as a classic, but in its own right, Jesus does things that will stand the test of time. And when you look at a classic, is that because album, of that's the production, of, or is that because of what he's talking about? Well, it's mostly because of the production. I, I don't think right. I don't think anybody could really argue that much, but. Um, but again, we've we've talked about it on this show. We've pretty much all agreed that it is not Kanye's best work, in our opinion. Um, 
But again, looking at Jesus, it's it's basically comes down to your preference. If you want a rap album, Jesus is not your ticket. All right. All right, man. We appreciate your input, brother. Thank you for calling, man. We appreciate your input. Water. So, we just had our callers uh, call in and, and chime in, um, segueing into kind of a, a couple of discussion points we have for this segment. Um, and we'll, we'll get to Wally in a second, and I think we should we should uh, assess our callers' own assessment um, of Wally's The Gifted album, which I mentioned in our What We Hear segment. But, um, gentlemen, let's talk about Jay-Z for a second here, because uh, Jay-Z has an album coming out next week on July 4th. And um, anybody who's had uh, their ear to the ground has seen all the developments with it. Um, and over the last week, he's been it's been an interesting approach with this. I mean, obviously, from the very jump, the very first promo, the very first thing we even heard about this album came during Game 5 of the NBA Finals at halftime, um, that promotional video that we saw, uh, the three-minute video with Samsung showing Jay-Z, Rick Rubin, Timbaland, Swiss Beats, Pharrell um, in that think tank really uh, conceptualizing this Magna Carta Holy Grail album and giving us a sense of the process in terms of developing the concepts and the ideas. Um, we've since gotten a track list, um, a, a confirmed track list has released with the features. Um, only a few features on the album as a whole, Rick Ross, Frank Ocean, uh, Beyonce, and obviously the aforementioned Pharrell, Swiss Beats, Timberland, and Justin Timberlake as well, and Nas also another confirmed feature. Um, interesting approach how he's been kind of promoting this up to this point. He's been letting go of the lyrics of certain songs, um, uh, the Ocean song with Frank Ocean, um, uh, the Heaven song, the the Part Two song with Beyonce, which is supposed to be a sequel to the Bonnie and Clyde song from uh, the you know the the real popular uh, Bonnie and Clyde record that they had back in around 2004. So I guess that's supposed to be the sequel to that. Um, some more videos, shorter videos have come out with him talking about ideas and lyrics for songs like the Ocean song with Frank Ocean. I had a chance to watch that video. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to check that out, definitely, um, I mean, you don't have to, but, I mean, if you really want a sense of kind of where this thing is going, I think he's really been um, emphasizing what it is he's trying to get across with these little 30 to 60-second promotional clips. Um, it's been really interesting to observe over time. Um, the word classic has already been thrown around, guys. I'm seeing a lot of uh, a lot of uh, um, classic titles for this kind of um, looking ahead, and whether it's premature or not, um, the critics are starting to throw the classic label on this thing already. Um, I'm interested to, to know what you guys are expecting. What do you guys... Uh, what do you guys expect from this from this next Jay Z album dropping next week? I mean, to me, I'm gonna be honest. It, it certainly feels like a classic already. Like I, I am, I am more excited about this, or maybe as excited about this as I was about a new Kanye fan. And I'm certainly a bigger Kanye fan or Kanye album rather. I'm certainly a bigger Kanye fan than I am a Jay Z fan. But the, I mean, the way the way he went about. Uh, originally announcing the album, I think, was as cool as anybody has ever done. I mean, I thought Kanye was really innovative with the projection thing. But, I mean, game five, halftime of the NBA finals, throw up your commercial, 
in the commercial announced that announced that you actually have an album coming out on July 4th, which was realistically that game was like what a week and a half ago, like two weeks ago max. Like it wasn't it yeah. wasn't a very long time ago. So I mean, for for it to be that soon, he keeps throwing around the slogan "new rules," and and that's what they're kind of going for here, to where it's like he's trying to change the conventional ways of of putting together an album and the process in which you take to like put it out and putting it together and all that stuff. Like he's going closer, more similar to what Kanye did do for Yeezus. Because I mean, if you think about it, and, and when you remember. Kanye was working on Yeezus up until about a week before the actual hard copy release date. Like he, he was still, he had just went to Rick Rubin to put the final touches or I mean, realistically what Rick Rubin ended up doing was more than the final touches, but he went to Rick Rubin only three weeks before June 18th. So, I mean, these guys are really cutting it close and, and I, and I like that about it. I think that it kind of gives it that raw edge. It's, it's not going to be overproduced. I mean, Jay-Z obviously has, some of the top producer in the game in the game working with them like ever ever realistically maybe maybe the best hip hop producers ever between Swiss Beats Pharrell Timberland I mean Rick Rubin you get there's really not much more that you're missing there but I mean I so because of that because of that I'm very interested in it I I think that from the commercials and the little clips that we have gotten the overall sound of the album is is a modern hip hop sound, but it's but it it still has a classic twist on it. If that makes any sense, it's like I mean, there's a few beats on there that sound like like the epitome of what a Jay Z beat is supposed to sound like. So you know that he's going to like take care of business. And I, I feel like another thing going big for this album is the quality of rap Jay Z put out on the last album he was on, and that was Watch the Throne. And I think that that was the best rap we've heard from Jay-Z realistically since, I mean, I would say since Black Album, but I was an American Gangster fan. Not everybody was. But I would say since American Gangster, that's the best rap I've heard from Jay-Z. So, I mean, I am I am very optimistic about Jay-Z's rap and, and, and how he's going to be able to, you know, kind of remain relevant, kind of go with what's going on in hip-hop right now, take that and feed off of it. And he shows he's able to do that. I mean, you see that with the Kendrick Lamar, Bitch Don't Kill My Vibe remix where, like, he took something that was, like, brand new kind of and made it his own. So he, like, still has his twist on it, but he still kills it. Like, he kills that mm. Bitch Don't Kill My Vibe verse. People people forget yeah. about it because Kendrick, cause Kendrick absolutely murders that second verse. But at the same time, Jay-Z also kills that verse. You know, and he kills Every single verse that I, he has on Watch the Throne, like, I don't think that there's a bad Jay-Z verse on Watch the Throne. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I mean, there's songs that I certainly didn't like. I wasn't a huge fan of The Joy or New Day, really. But at the same time, there, there's there's quality, quality Jay-Z material. So for him to be working with the best of the best at a point in time to where he kind of, like, Jay-Z knows he's the best right now. That's the thing. Like, Jay-Z knows that he's one of the best ever. He knows that, like, he's like a god to, to most people that are hip-hop fans. So he he knows that he can't, like, just put out just any old thing and say, you know what, this is my album. So I, I, I expect the best from Jay-Z. I, I, I'll allude back. We talked about 
in one of our very first weeks of doing this here collective show, we talked about how the dream spoke about Jay-Z working on a, the dream was actually the first one to confirm that Jay-Z was working on a new album. I mean, he had no specific right. details or anything like that, but he was the first one to say to us, uh, yeah, you know, so Jay-Z, I've been in the studio with Jay-Z working on his new album. And he said that, I believe the quote was he said that it was as gritty a Jay Z as, as like he can remember. Like it was it was gritty yeah. Jay Z. So if we're if we're going to get a bunch of songs like that, I'm, I mean I don't see why it couldn't be a classic. I think that I think that with the albums that have come out so far this year, I mean Jay Z on on some beats that sound the way that these ones do. I mean I think that it's going to be the best. Of, Maybe the best rap album of this year. I mean, Drake Drake is going to be a competitor, obviously, with Nothing is the Same, dropping uh, September 17th. Shout out to Shaw 917, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but um, <laughs> but but I think I think Jay Z is going to put out the best album rap, the uh, best rap album this year, and I and I'm going to stand by that as of right now until until anything changes, you know. So. Like I said, be on the lookout for it. I think it's going to be absolutely fantastic. I think his marketing scheme has been, like, great. I think the promotion for it has been great. I think that everything they're doing around it is going to be great, so the album's going to be great. I think the timing is probably the most the, intriguing thing The timing for me. is perfect. The timing uh, is perfect. And, I, and I'm looking at it, Lawrence, in, in concordance with Kanye's album, and I think that's the big that, – that's the most intriguing thing for me because – we're kind of still in the Jesus aftermath, and at this point, you either have people that are still kind of hanging on to it and have, you know, selectively picked out the songs that they enjoy and they're sticking to those songs, and you've got people that yeah. have already thrown Jesus out in the garbage. I mean, you've got people that have just completely glossed over like it's just an afterthought for those people. And I'm looking at this um, as, uh, I, you know, I you know me and my, you know, all concocted theories and whatnot, but I... I I think this might be a kind of like a, a symbol, kind of like a, a sim, symbolic, I don't know, rescue for hip hop for Jay Z because, you know, like you said, we the, the build up for Kanye's album, the anticipation, you know, the, the 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 top guy in the game, you know, we waited and we waited and and Jesus dropped, and as as we talked about on the show, we unpacked it, we talked about you know, what's good about it, what's not so good about it, what we enjoy, what we don't enjoy. And I think the one thing that we, you know, we've commonly agreed on is that Jesus is not, it, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious. It's not your prototypical rap album. And if you want a, rap, a, 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 a prototypical, really, like, grandiose rap album, you're not going to go to Jesus. And I, for that reason, I, I, I think the timing is intriguing to me for that reason, because June 18th was just last week. And July 4th is next week, and we're about to get this Jay-Z album. And I think maybe for people who, who have kind of just written off Kanye, just like, well, you know, he's a little too weird for me right now. He's not doing it for me. Those people who are kind of submerged into, like, that purest rap form, I think this Jay-Z album may kind of rescue them or bring them out of that, out of that you know, kind of out of that slumber as it pertains to hip-hop. Because it's like you said, Lawrence, it's like, Jay knows that he's the best, and, and he goes about this as, as knowing he's the best. And I can't help but compare the approaches, you know, and I was talking to somebody about this the other day. You look at how kind of how the differences in how Jay and Kanye have evolved. Jay became the rap icon and made it, and then, and then made it about business. He separated from, from the whole rap icon thing and then made his, his, a big part of his career about business, which has, which has, 
you know, given him the highest esteem, the highest amount of respect. I mean, he goes to the White House. He goes to the inaugural ceremonies. He, he can go wherever he wants. Kanye became the rap icon probably, you know, probably a little after the graduation album, I would say. And, you know, obviously the passing of his mother had a big influence on the next album, 808s and Heartbreaks. But, but he, he made it about, well, he went into the fashion world, obviously. But then, you know, he, he lashed out. He said things about George Bush. He did the Taylor Swift thing at the VMAs. He, you know, he kind of just became the outlaw. So I'm really looking at these parallels. And, Jay, I, I, I can't help but think about the parallels here between, you know, how, how just how challenging Jesus was and, and how just transcendent and just confusing it was to really grasp and adapt to. And now I'm looking at Jay-Z, and I can't help but think he's about to come in and do for hip-hop what maybe we wanted Kanye to do. So I, I don't know, Jay. What do, what do you think? Um, there's there's definitely a contrast there. And, and in order to be a president, you have to have a squeaky clean record. Right, you know, you 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 can't have things out there. You can't have skeletons in your closet. You know, you you have to you have to keep your image. I think Jay Z has done a way way better job than Kanye has of 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 keeping that keeping the image that allows him to be invited to uh, inauguration ceremonies and, and, and things of that nature for him to be able to be a owner of a sports team. And then on top of that, now start his own sports agency and, and do all the things on the business world that Jay-Z has is because he hasn't pissed many people off. He certainly hasn't pissed off nearly enough, as much people as Kanye has. So kudos to Jay-Z for, for, for doing that because he realized that basically he realized that his money and his businesses were more important than his personal preferences and his personal opinion. And and that's essentially like what has given him the opportunity to do this. I mean, now, you know, he's teamed up with Beyonce and now they're they're the they are the power couple of, of American pop culture and which has made him even more money. And and he's just done things the right way as far as saying, okay, I am an artist, but I want to make myself a brand, and then I want my brand to expand into whatever I want it to expand into, and he's done a masterful job at doing that. Uh, I think I think any rapper, it's kind of like a, a professional athlete who finishes their career, and then they get into other ventures. Like Michael Jordan is, uh, I'm sorry, Jay-Z is kind of like the Magic Johnson of hip-hop in a way that he did one thing, went outside and was able to be successful in other areas, particularly business areas. So I I just think I just think he just he did a he's done a masterful job at 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 being the the representative of his brand and really being able to touch any type of, of, of area that he wants to um because of the way he's kept his, his reputation and the way he kept his name up. So just kudos to Jay Z because he just he's a, he's a mastermind when it comes to that. I, I he is the ultimate hustler, in a way. Um, but you know, as far as the album goes, I'm I'm personally Jay Z, and I've said this on this on this show before. Jay Z is my is, is is my favorite rapper of all time. He's my guy. He's 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 the the best rapper of all time in my opinion. 
Um, and and that's based on you know his music. That's based on his 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 legacy. That's based on how many number ones he's had. The just if you go by the numbers, there's not many people of anyone really touching Jay Z. And I think this album is just going to be, I think it's going to be tremendous. I think that he didn't hype it up and I think he didn't promo it as much because of the fact that it's going to be more grounded and more and more old school, early 2000, late 90s Rockefeller sound than it's going to be a big production like a, like a Kanye album, like a Yeezus per se. So... Um, I'm really, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm very, very excited about it. I'm very happy that, that this is coming next week. Um, to me, for, for me and to me, it's going to be the best album of the summer. Um, that's just what I think it's going to play. I just think that's how it's going to play out. Um, it's just interesting. It's just interesting because, you know, Kanye released an album two weeks ago. J. Cole released an album about roughly two weeks ago. And then Jay-Z's coming out with an album now. Like, he really didn't even give those two albums really any time to breathe. Like, those albums had no time to breathe. I actually saw a tweet that I thought was interesting. And it was just like, Jay-Z doesn't care about J. Cole at all as as his artist because he's dropping an album a few weeks after his album comes out. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I, I hear you. I can see how people can. I, I can see how people can say that, but it's. It, I, I don't know if that's the case. So it, it'll be very, very interesting um, to see how the rest of this thing shakes out. But it, 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 it it's probably going to be album of the summer. I'm going to the Made in America festival in August, so I'm especially looking forward to seeing Jay Z do some of these newer songs. I just think it'll be awesome. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> over to God, <laughs> he's back, he's back, he's back, he's, he's, it seems like he's, he's sticking with an older formula with the people that he's working with, um, I'm gonna probably pass out when I hear the Frank Ocean feature, um, <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm, I'm being real, I, 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 this is gonna be the album of the summer for me. And, and I know that already, and I, you know, I haven't heard one song, but for me, I know it's going to be album of the summer. And if we get a Jay Z, old school sounding album, it, it, it's gonna, it's gonna, we're gonna forget about Born Center. Um, Jesus is gonna be somewhat of an afterthought. Wale's album won't even be mentioned, and right. <laughs> it's just gonna be, it's, it's the, it's the Rockefeller umbrella takeover this summer with Wale. Kanye, Cole, Jay-Z, I mean, like, they are all affiliated with their own things, but they are under this, they are, Jay-Z's making money off of all these albums, and then he's going to make his own money off of his own album that's already platinum, apparently, so, <laughs> who to who, it's just, it, it, it's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting week next week, I'm just, I think it's going to be a classic, I, I'm, 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 I'm confident that it's going to be a classic, I'm pretty confident in that. Uh, yeah, and again, going back to like the parallel with with Kanye, I, I I can't help but think of it this way because you're looking at two guys that are part of the upper echelon, and you look at what they did together on Watch the Throne, it was mutual greatness, and and then they split up, and Kanye kind of veers off into this lane, and and now now and 
and I, I like I just can't stress it enough. I, and I think you know Lawrence touched on it before. You know from what we've heard, the sounds and stuff. They, it does you do you do sense kind of a, a you know the more modern kind of hip hop sound. But like you like you both mentioned, you know we 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 heard the beat. We we there. I know there were one or two specific beats from that commercial that we, that we all heard. And I remember Jay texted me saying, "Yo, that's a reasonable doubt." Like that, that's nothing else but reasonable doubt right there. And you and you appreciate the fact that you know that those that that those classic vibes are being blended into this modern sound. But that but I'm lyrically, it's like we can we can assume and we pretty much know that lyrically, Jay Z is about to come with some really in depth content more so than we got from Jesus. And I think that was the biggest critique that we all had from Jesus is that lyrically, it's not up to par with other Kanye albums. He doesn't do as much substantive rapping on Yeezus than he did on other albums. And, Lawrence, I think you made a good point with Watch the Throne. I mean, yeah, that was 2011, but look, whenever Jay-Z feels like rapping, he's he still got it. And and, and then, like you said, when you see him Watch the Throne and on the, the Bitch Don't Kill My Vibe remix with Kendrick Lamar, we get these little sightings, we get these little, he, he still got it. And I'll refer back to it, the, the little video clips that he's released, um, particularly for the song Oceans with Frank Ocean. It's about 45 seconds long where he explains, he's kind of briefly explaining the, the, the context and the meaning behind it, and he, and he puts out a couple bars that he has from it. And he has a seasick metaphor that had me pretty seasick when I first heard it. And even Pharrell kind of just looked into the camera like, did y'all hear what he's like, did, did y'all hear what's going on right now? Like real hip hop is being constructed, and and I, I think you both touched on the areas that are that are really important and really exciting for this album. Um, I think I guess you know we can all agree it's pretty fair to assume that we're we're getting a classic Jay Z album next week. Uh, Thirteen songs, good features, um, uh, really thought out concepts. I, I think we all are are pretty are really looking forward to this album. And as always, you know, we'll come together, we'll listen and absorb, and we'll talk about it right here on The Collective because, you know, that's what we do. That's just what we do. Um, segwaying into, you know, our, our next time, I want to talk about Big Sean real quick. And, and um, you know, Lawrence reminded me of, of Big Sean. And, you know, he announced his release date for the sophomore album Hall of Fame. It'll, it'll drop in August. I can't recall the exact date, but I know it's August. Um, he's released three songs, uh, probably from the album. Maybe, maybe one or two will be uh, uh, bonus tracks. Possibly the the Guap song, which came out some time ago, uh, the Switch Up featuring Common, which came out also some time ago, and then just recently in the last few days, he dropped the Beware single featuring Lil Wayne and Janae Aiko. Um, I listened to the record. I wasn't crazy about it on my first few listens. It didn't really give me that strong of an impression. Um, uh, guys, I'm going to put it out there. I'm nervous for Big Sean. I'm nervous for Big Wait, Sean, you really, guys. You really didn't like the Beware? You didn't like the Beware track? I listened to it a few times, and it didn't, it, it, it didn't get me. I, I, I'm sure I need to listen more, but I can, I, I'm just talking off initial feelings here. It didn't get me. Um, I, I didn't really – I wasn't really feeling it. I don't, I don't know. There wasn't anything about it that was especially significant to me, um, it didn't it didn't really grab me. But again, uh, I guess I, I should give it more, some more fair listens. Um, I, but I, I I actually I mean it, it's not it's not the most profound thing I've heard this year. It's not like 
I'm going to say, oh, yo, that's the best rap song I've heard all year. But I actually think it's pretty cool. I think that it's, it's, it's a little bit different. I think it's more Kendrick-esque. I mean, and I, I could say that realistically just because Janae Aiku is a, is a frequent collaborator with Kendrick in, in the whole TD. So that, that kind of gives it that sound. But at the same time, I think it's, I think it, if, if it's written by Sean, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, uh, you know it's a it's somewhat catchy. Martin can certainly attest to the fact that um, once I give up on an artist, I completely give up on the meaning that I don't listen to them at all. Like I I go ab- above and beyond the call to not listen to them. And this was the first time I was actually able to listen to a Little Wayne verse and be like, oh, that was fine, I guess. And like, and it was only because of the. I mean, it's like I said, it's certainly not the most profound track, but I think it does show some growth. It shows it shows better like a big picture idea from Sean. I mean, not like he totally lacked that, but at the same time, it shows it shows more development in terms of like thinking big picture and putting out a, a full on concept song. But so I mean, I, I appreciated Beware. I didn't. I mean, like I said again, I, I, it's not the best song I've ever heard in my life, but at the same time, it it, it was pretty cool. I, I think if you give it a few more listens, it may grow a little bit. It's it's. It's certainly different, but it but it has a it has a cool little vibe to it. I, I the song actually got me excited for Hall of Fame. I mean that that's what it was supposed to do. He put it out as like kind of like all right, here's one song off of my album, and I'm gonna announce the date. You go get it and get excited about it. And I got a little bit excited about it. I'm not gonna lie to you. Uh, he's he. What's funny about Sean is that a year ago. He was in the same category as like a J. Cole with us where he was like yeah. he was one of those up and coming guys that we were like, All right, this guy could be one of the best in the game realistically. We just gotta see where it goes. And then like J. Cole, he ended up putting out his first album that had a bunch of songs for the radio, a bunch of songs that didn't necessarily stick. A bunch of songs that didn't necessarily stick and and he ended up, you know, not necessarily meeting expectations with it. But at the same time, um, it, it, I think that this is kind of his way of of putting out his Born Center, you know. I mean, not to say Born Center was, like, fantastic or great or anything like that, but it, it's, like, time for him to really start to make the music that he wants to make and not stuff that he's going to be pressured into making. Because there was obviously songs on the Finally Famous album that he was pressured into making. I mean, that, like... The song with Chris Brown was was comparable to J. Cole's workout. It was it was not good. It was it was a song that was made strictly for the radio, but it it just wasn't it just wasn't what we were used to getting from that artist. So I think I think if Big Sean kind of takes more creative control over this project and, and you know, is really able to put his own his own footprint on it, I think he could really do some cool things. I I'm looking forward to Hall of Fame greatly actually. I think I think it could be really cool. Big Sean is Big Sean is is certainly one of the more talented young MCs. I I agree, and and I look forward to Hall of Fame just to seeing how that creative control develops. But I, you know, I I like the switch up record with Comet. I actually enjoyed that. That actually had me more ready for Hall of Fame than I guess Beware did. Again, I I trust I definitely trust your assessment, so I am gonna give it more of a fair listen, but. Um, I, I here's why I, I started out by saying I'm 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 somewhat nervous and I'm and I'm I'm approaching Big Sean's album with caution now, and here's why I he gets a little too playful for me 
Like he seems like he seems like high school kids are listening to him. Like he just seems like he's he just he's just too playful. Like I, I, I and it's not to say that's really a bad thing, but I, I I don't I don't really know what I'm looking for from Big Sean right now. I don't know if I'm looking for like you know extreme lyricism. I don't know if I'm looking for you know a club banger like Burn with Meek Mill. Like I, I'm not really sure what I'm what I'm what I'm looking for here. And, and there's another particular reason why I'm, I'm a little bit nervous is because he has a running mate in good music that's about to drop probably one of the sleeper rap albums of this year next month, and that's Pusha T with My Name Is My Name. I think when you talk about the good music emblem and you go right, right up to the top with Kanye, Jesus, highly controversial, and then you, you kind of make your way down and you look for these other guys to carry their weight. Cuddy is out of good music now. And, and I, I bring this up as good music as a whole because I considered uh, right around the time of Cruel Summer, I, before, I mean, before it even came out, I considered good music to be top to bottom to be the, the best group we have out. And I did a post on our music blog about the reemergence of hip-hop groups because you've got your Young Monies, you've got MMG, Good Music, Odd Future, ASAP Mob, uh, you know, you've got these groups really kind of reemerging. And I see good music at the really the, the top of the fold, the upper echelon. I feel like I felt like top to bottom, their roster matches up with any roster by far. No more Kid Cudi, and the, what he brought to good music, the versatility. I I I really attributed Kid Cudi's presence. I I just felt like he was like the matchup problem for any other group. No other group has a Kid Cudi that could match up with that. He's gone now. So essentially you're looking at Kanye, Big Sean, and Pusha T to kind of hold the weight of good music right now, similar to Rick Ross, Meek Mill, Wale. I kind of match up those big threes right now. And and I, it's what I said about Wale a few weeks ago when we talked about his upcoming album and that he had to hold up his weight because Meek is obviously, you know, he comes in and he just – kills the summer. He he just he just comes in really hard with, with bangers and he just takes over the summer. And the same with Ross. They have that same appeal and Wale kinda just floats under the radar. I, I, I wanna see Big Sean do something really good. I wanna see him succeed because I, I'm a I'm a Big Sean fan. I enjoyed his Detroit mixtape last year. I mean I I really enjoyed it. Um but again I'm looking for him to come with something that really carries its weight. And you, you mean we brought up that we I think we all you know we we've all been pretty critical of the finally famous album. Um, I think we all kind of expected a little bit more from that. Um, but I, I'm I'm approaching this with caution, guys. I, I I'm not extremely sold yet on this album. I'm not extremely sold yet on on whatever it is we're about to get from Big Sean right now, for the reasons that I just mentioned. Um, and Jay, you were a big you in fact you were the catalyst, at least I can say for me, um, when it came to Big Sean putting me onto the the uh the super duper lemonade, the, the the flow, the whole Big Sean movement, um, when it really rose to prominence, you were really responsible for it. So what are your what are your thoughts on Big Sean with his sophomore album coming up? Um same same with J. Cole. I think it's make or break for him. Um, you know, he's going to obviously make his money. He's going to have a radio hit. He's, you know, it's, it's, he, he is a Wiz Khalifa. I will put him in that kind of category. Maybe he doesn't make as much money as Wiz, but I will put him in that type of popularity kind of, kind of, kind of, you know, realm. 
But I think I think this album is make or break for him. I mean, all sophomore albums are very very important for artists that want to have some type of longevity. Um, and and there's it's no different here with with Big Sean. Um, <sighs> he has a he has he has the the different types of flows and and kind of like the different style that I that I always was looking for in rappers. Um, you know, his finally famous mixtape is probably my favorite piece of work um from him and it even though it was it was heavy with features um but every verse on there that he had himself uh i think he he really really just crushed everything and and it, and in the sound of it in the sound of the finally famous album it's not even close um and it, you know it's the same thing he wanted he wanted that radio sound with a lot of those songs that he had on there and he can, and he does well with those songs, but that doesn't mean that's what we want to hear. So, um, you know, same thing goes with Big Sean as I think you know went on with J Cole. It, it's really it's really kind of make or break with these guys. So, um, with their with their second you know solo, you know pieces. So it, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Um, I would say I would I would say that I'm looking forward to it. I, I don't think I can deny that. Um, but I, I will be highly, highly critical of this album, um, for the same reason why I would, I would be, I was highly, highly critical of J. Cole's because I know that there's potential there. I just want to see it. And, and, um, Big Sean made a splash with me just as much as J. Cole made, made a splash with me. And, and I hold them both to, to pretty high standards because I feel like they might be the future of hip hop. Um, so we will just see, you know, where, where he decides to go with this album. Um, and I hope that it's, it's, it's similar to J. Cole's and that it's, it's true to what he wants it to be. And that's all I can really mm-hmm. ask for for him. So, so I, I think it will. So uh, it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting dynamic because I think you both said something similar, um, in that when we, you know, when we kind of came into, the mantra that was Big Sean and, and the and the and the movement um, when he really kind of rose up and and put us on notice like you you know you guys both alluded to it we we grouped him in that J Cole category because and in fact if I'm not mistaken they were both on the same double XL freshman cover if I remember correctly um, so it, you know they were really coming into the public eye at, at, at around the same time. Um, and and we felt the need, and it was warranted to kind of group in group him into that J Cole category. Um, Jay, you mentioned the popularity aspect, which I, I you know I fully comprehend what you were saying there in terms of the Big Sean with Khalifa in terms of popularity, and 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 I, I do see that. But I, I guess uh, kind of backing up what I was saying before, I guess my my issue is that. I and 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 Wiz has dropped tremendously. We haven't really talked about his dissension on this show at length, but you know, I, um, we I know we all agree on you know us in terms of how we how we perceived Wiz used to be much more credible than how we perceive him now, just in terms of the music and 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 his overall approach. But I you know. I, and I hate to say this, and I and I, I really hate to say this because I, I'm all, I, I like Big Sean. And I consider him better than with Khalifa, but my problem is that I need I need him to create more separation, and I and I agree with you, Jay, in that they're in the same kind of realm popularity wise. But that kind of that kind of bothers me because it it 
it forces me to it almost makes me group them together musically too because I, I see them I see them kind of doing similar things. Like I, I don't know if Sean is separating enough for me right now. I, I think he's I think, you know, when he does, you know, like the Mercy verse and, and even the, the, the Burn verse with Meek Mill on his on the Detroit mixtape and, and other songs in the Detroit mixtape too that he did well. I think, you know, when it comes down to the rapping, I think he does a decent job of separating. But just I, I don't know. Overall I don't know if he's if he's creating that separation for me, for him to for me to put him into the, the great category, the you know, 'cause we know he's good. We we know his potential, we know he's good. I guess I'm just waiting for him to to create that separation for me. I don't know. I, I I'm still waiting for that to happen. I think I think Cole I I think Cole created that separation from the from the gate and I think Sean did something similar and I think that's why we kind of grouped them together, but I think Cole's separation has far outweighed Big Sean's. Maybe not far, but I I can I can I think Jay Cole has done a a, a better job of creating that separation than Sean has thus far. And I, I, I agree, Jay. I think this next album is, is basically make or break. I think it, it's, it's a huge statement for him, just like, just like the Born Sinner album. Yeah. Uh, well, with that, with that being said, real quick, we got a, we got another caller on the line, Molly. Let, let, let's get Bring the him in. caller on. Hey, caller, you're on live with the collective. Yo, what's going on? What's up? What's up? Uh, so I'm told this is Kenny Neal, correct? Absolutely. What's going on? Great show, guys. Just wanted to call in and show my support. And uh, also, you know, just wanted to comment a little bit about, you know, what you guys were talking about. Um, not much to disagree about what you guys were saying. Uh, I agree with a lot of it. Um, although I would say that um, for those guys to separate, I know you guys were just talking about that, I think it's going to take uh, one of those big guys to, um, you know, to officially retire and, and give it up. And with guys like Jay-Z and you got guys like uh, you know Kanye. When those guys are still around, um, it's going. It's it's almost as if those those B guys um, are going to have a ceiling. They're going to only do so well, and especially with that. these guys running their labels. Um, you know, it's very obvious that Jay Z is priority number one on Jay Z's. I mean, he's he's going to take care of his own first. I mean, that's very obvious. I mean, he's a marketing genius. I mean, you guys have talked about that with us his new album and how he's approaching it and how he's marketing it. And, um, you know, it's and the same thing with uh, Kanye. Um, another thing I will say that uh, no, I'm um, not exactly sure which, which one of you guys were speaking on it, but as far as good music is concerned, as a, as a label or a crew, as a group, um, being, um, you know, that top, you know, group, I would agree, but I would also... Um, you know, worry a little bit because with Kanye, I think with him being that label head and him being that um, the face of that that entire program, um, you know, he deals a lot as far as marketing, as far as, with controversy, and I think it's worked for him in the past, but uh, recently with his new album, it worked for everyone else. Well, I, I think you know with with him in the past, he's, he's used the controversy thing to sell his albums, and he's done a great job. But this one, he got no content with with Jesus. I mean, you listen to this album; I was very disappointed. It sounds as if you guys were disappointed as well, because um, he's he's one of the best lyricists we have in in, in this genre, and uh, yeah. he just didn't bring it. And uh, I, I hate for that to be an, uh, a mantra or an example for the rest of the good music label. Uh, with you talking about. Um, 
you know, Pusha T coming out with his album and, uh, you know, with the things he has going on with Wayne and things like that, is he going to rely on that to, to, to market his album, push his album? I think that's a good take. And if that's mm. the case, um, you know, he he's not going to have the kind of following that a guy like Jay-Z and, and uh, Kanye is going to, you know, come to the table with off lip. I mean, from the very beginning. So um, I think that that whole label needs to be careful. Um as, as far as following that example, because uh, I think Kanye did himself a disservice. Uh, you know, he's not going to be able to just use controversy to move his album because guys are going to say he did this last time. And, yeah. you know, he's going to have to bring something more to the table to sell albums. Uh, I'm not sure what his numbers in right, right now, but I'm sure he's doing relatively well because of the controversy and because, you know, you know, say what you want about the whole Yeezus concept and, you know, with that whole thing about, you know, people being upset in the Christian world and things like that, um, say what you want, but it, it's it's helped him build a buzz around that album and it's going to generate... Exactly. And it's going to build numbers, and I'm sure he's doing relatively well, um, but next yeah, time... I mean, he's not doing... The, the numbers for the first week are out. He hasn't done as well as any of his other albums, but he's still number one. He he sold uh, just north of three hundred thousand copies his first week. Okay, and and that's going to continue. I mean, once it's going to it's going to, in my opinion, it's going to consistently die down uh, because the word is getting out that um, as much as the controversy um, built the buzz in the beginning, people know that there's not content behind it. I mean, I heard Kanye's album was terrible before I even heard it. Um, mm. Because it's Kanye, I still took. The opportunity to listen to it because I was hoping I was people that was telling me that it was a bad album was wrong because I am a Kanye fan and uh, you know I just think he did himself a disservice he has to bring it next time in his next album um, I think he needs to give himself a little space and, and let this album kind of let people kind of forget about it and uh, kind of you know not start from scratch because Kanye has a huge following we all understand that um, but he really has to um bring it next time and bring more content. And I think uh, with Pusha T's album, I know you guys were talking about that, I think he needs to um, get away from the controversy and just focus more on content. Um, but, uh, again, guys, great show. I'm glad you guys finally got me on the air. L took you long enough, but appreciate it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's me, that's me. And uh, I will uh, I will be a, a listener every Saturday. You guys do a great job, man. Continue what you're doing, and uh, talk to you guys later. We appreciate hey, that, Coach. Kenny. Hey, hey, Kenny. Hey, Kenny. Quick, one one quick question before you get off the line. So um, now that we we got a first hand account here, how was it working with Jay Z on his newest album? Like, how was it being <laughs> in the studio? <laughs> with? Uh, I got to tell you, man, I had a good time with it, man. It was about as tight as your jeans is every day. Um, you know, so, you know, it, it was real, real tight, man. So, again, guys, I appreciate it. I'm about to chop it up with y'all another time, man. But thanks for putting me on the air, and you guys continue doing what you're doing, all right? All right, Kenny. Thanks for calling, the Kenny. Call, brother. All right. Yeah, so that's Kenny Neal. He was, he was a um, – he was a, a basketball coach of ours at Eastern University. Real good guy. He was actually a phenomenal basketball player, and and uh, we we certainly do appreciate him calling in all the way down from Jacksonville, Florida. So that that's love. That's love. It's, it's always good to hear from that guy. Absolutely, a legend in his own right, Kenny Neal himself. Uh, 
the, the Swiss Beats is twin for for any listeners who who didn't catch on, but he he is Swiss Beats. Um, he, he is Swiss Beats. So so that's why Lawrence asked how it's working on the Jay Z album because we we've seen him working in there and he he's literally Swiss <laughs> Beats is twin. So we got the inside scoop from here on out on Magna Carta Holy Grail. Um, <laughs> we got Kenny Neal as a regular listener, so that's good to know. Um, Great insight, gentlemen. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, great points he made. I I, I, uh, I, almost wish we had more time to, to keep him on because it's something he said is something I felt I, was really similar to what I was saying in that, you know, he said before he even heard the Kanye album, he heard it was terrible. And, and you know, and then he goes in and listens. But it's like I heard him say something similar to what I was thinking in that I hate the fact that I can empathize with people who don't like it. I'd rather yeah. I'd rather tell somebody who doesn't like it that they don't know anything about music, but I can't do that with this album because you you see the flaws, you you know you see where it's lacking, um, and it's yeah. primarily the content. Just as Kenny uh, really yeah, he, need, he, so need, well. he certainly needs to get back to rapping. He, it needs to be about rapping, and I, I feel like that's kind of what I mean. We we've talked about Jesus what for the last three weeks on the show now, so I mean. I'm not going to say anything realistically that we haven't said before, but I feel like he's he's certainly gotten wrapped up in the sonics of the music a lot more than than he's uh, concerned about the rapping. And I, I guess that's fine for those that are into that type of things. But I mean, he's he's built this following based on being able to tie in the music world uh, along with his rapping. So I mean, I we definitely need to see Kanye getting back to the rapping. And I also did like the point Kenny made about uh, Pusha T and him being able to sell this album based on it being good music and not based on it being the rapper that's beefing with Lil Wayne. I think if it's coming, if it's coming out as, Hey, I'm the dude that's coming at Lil Wayne, it's going to be really, really corny. Yeah. Yeah. I, that was, I think that was a good strong point too. Just really, Kind of setting the bar for the good music label as a whole, I think that was that was very important. Yeah. Um, so yeah, wrapping up here. Uh, final point on Jesus, though. I don't know if you guys heard, but Rick Rubin has been hinting at a sequel. Apparently, he told Kanye he, it was his idea to make it ten songs, and the whole condensing part was a big part of Rick Rubin's influence. He's been doing interviews this week, that hinting at a possible Jesus part two. So, uh, mm. you know. We'll have our ears to the ground. We'll, you know, keep our ears out for that and see see what developments come from that, um, as we always do here on The Collective each Saturday. Um, so let's, you know, winding down here, um, ending our episode for today. Um, thank you for any callers or listeners that joined us. Thank you to The Keys 107, our network, opening the doors to endless possibilities. Um, check out yes, our show Lord. blog, thecollectiveradio.blogspot.com, and check out our yes, other problem. blogs as well. And uh, check us out next week for another episode of The Collective at 1 o'clock, same time, same discussion, same energy, so digital. I took that from Funkmaster Flex, but it's cool. So digital. (laughs) Out here. On behalf of The Keys 107, we thank you for tuning in to The Collective. Check us out at Blogspot, our show blog, The Collective Radio, our basketball blog, Basketball Feed, our music blog, What We Hear, and our TV and movie blog, Television Cinema. Follow us on Twitter at Collective underscore BTR, as well as Instagram, and join our Facebook group, The Collective. And as always, tune in every Saturday with us between 1 and 3 p.m. Eastern Time, where young hosts come together to discuss and critique topics in sports, music, television, and film. Now let the beat rock out.